Welcome to the Whitefields Community Church Podcast. For more information about our church, including location and service times, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. If you are blessed by this message, please consider sharing it with others and leaving a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. Today's message comes from our Advent series, Light in the Darkness. With that, would you please bow your heads with me and let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. Lord, we thank you for the light of the knowledge of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Lord, and that's what we've come here today to do, to seek your face, Lord, to to behold your glory. And Lord, we pray that you would fill us, those dark parts of our lives, Lord, every corner of our hearts, would you fill it with your light and transform us more and more, we pray in Jesus' name as we study your word. Amen. Well, when I was 10 years old, my dad took me to the Gart Brothers Sports Castle. No longer exists, but some of you old Denver or Colorado natives, you'll remember the Gart Brothers Sports Castle on Broadway in downtown Denver. And the reason we went there was to meet Dikimbe Mutombo. Right? Some of you guys remember him. He was the seven-foot, two-inch tall center for the Denver Nuggets basketball team at that time. So we went down to Broadway in Denver. We went in the Sports Castle, and we met Dikimbe Mutombo. Now, I had seen him on TV, right? And I knew that he was tall. But the thing about watching basketball on TV is, like, everybody's really tall, so it's kind of hard to gauge, like, how tall is tall. So when I met him face to face, I shook his hand. His hand basically like just swallowed up my forearm, right? And then my head barely even came up to his waist. You see, I knew in theory that Dikembe Mutombo was really tall. But standing next to him, feeling his hand grip mine, that was a completely different experience altogether. And I wonder how many of you there are who've had something like that happen in your life, where you knew something in theory But then you got to experience it in person. And experiencing it in person helped you to understand and appreciate that thing in a way that you couldn't have otherwise, in a way that you didn't previously. A friend of mine was telling me that he went to a Formula One race. He had been a big fan of Formula One for many years. And he'd watched a lot of Formula One races on TV. And, and you know, you get the idea when you're watching Formula One. Those cars are driving really fast. That's the idea. And you understand that and you get it, but it's a different thing to see it with your own eyes. You don't really understand how fast they're going, how powerful they are, until you stand there and you see them going by and you feel the ground shaking under your feet and you smell the burning fuel and the burning rubber and you hear the sound of the engines. That's a different experience altogether. It gives you a whole different level of understanding. You see, it's one thing to know something in theory. It's another thing altogether to experience it for yourself. And in the same way, in our Advent series here in in the month of December, we've been talking about the light of God's glory, the light that shines in the darkness. But you know, I'll tell you for me personally, here's the difficulty in talking about it. Here's the difficulty. It's that what we're talking about is kind of an abstract concept. We're talking about this abstract concept, right? Light, darkness, God's glory. I think it can feel like, like really abstract. Like what exactly is that? It, we, we understand that light speaks of knowledge and life and truth and darkness represents evil and sin and brokenness and death. But sometimes it can feel like we're just talking about concepts. And concepts are important, by the way. In order for us, though, to really understand what the light of God's glory is, like what it looks like, what it means practically. 
it would help us if we had a tangible, practical way to see that. And what we celebrate on Christmas is actually exactly that. It's, that, it's what we call the incarnation, which means that God took on human flesh and became one of us. He was born as a human child in order to enter our world and do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. But in the Gospel of John, John tells us something that's really important about the incarnation. And it's this, that in the person of Jesus, God made it possible for us to see and understand the light of his glory in a very practical way. A practical way. So the title of today's message is Seeing the Light of God's Glory. Seeing the Light of God's Glory. And here's what we're going to see in our passage today here in John chapter 1. And it's this. The light of God's glory was made visible in Jesus, who now reveals this light through the lives of those who receive his grace. So I'll, I'll tell you that again, and I'd love it if you'd write it down, memorize it, take it with you today, because not only is that a summary of what we're going to see in this passage, but also, you know, it's a takeaway truth for you to go with you, and it's our outline for the sermon today. So the light of God's glory was made visible in Jesus, who now reveals this life light through the lives of those who receive his grace. So the first part of this sentence, the light of God's glory. Gospel of John chapter 1 verse 14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, what is John talking about? Like, what what is the word? Well, in order to understand what John is saying here, you actually have to go back to the first verse of the first chapter of the Gospel of John, the, the opening line in the Gospel of John. You have to go back there to understand what he's saying here in verse 14. Here's what he says in the first verse of the book. He says, in the beginning was the word. In the beginning was the word. Now, now, what does that mean? Like, what, why does he say the word? Why doesn't he, he's talking about Jesus, right? So why doesn't he just say, in the beginning was Jesus? Why does he say, in the beginning was the word? Like, what, what is that all about? Well, many of the Greek people at that time believed in a higher power. So they might not necessarily believe in a God in particular. Maybe they weren't sure which of the many gods they believed in. But they did know this. Most people at that time believed there's some higher power that controls the universe. And they had a name for that higher power. They called it the Logos, which means in Greek, just literally means the word, the Logos, the word. And and this is very similar to many people in our day, right? And many people who live in our communities. They may not be Christians. They may not adhere to any particular religion, but they would still say that they believe in a higher power. In fact, I looked it up and statistically, most Americans who are not Christians do believe in a higher power. So this is very similar to back then. It's very similar to right now, right? People believe in a higher power. And the Greeks had a word for this unknown higher power. They called it the logos or the word. And so here's what John is doing. He's saying this. In the beginning was the logos, the word, that higher power existed in the beginning. But check out what John's doing. It's actually kind of brilliant. It's kind of, kind of amazing. Here's what he's saying. In the beginning. Do you guys recognize those words? Those, that's the opening line of the Bible. If you turn to page one of the Bible and start reading at the beginning, here's what it says. 
in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so John takes that phrase and he sticks it on here. And he says, in the beginning was the logos, the higher power, the, the, this thing that you believe controls the universe. And here's what he's saying. You who believe in a higher power, you're right. There is a higher power that controls the universe. And you know who it is? The higher power that controls the universe is the God of the Bible. That's who it is. But then he goes one step further. And that brings us back to here to verse 14. He says, and the word, right? The God of the Bible, this higher power, who is the God of the Bible, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now that's an incredible claim. What he's saying is that this person, right? God became a person and lived among us. And what John is telling us is this is who Jesus is. Jesus is God come to us. But then he goes on in that same verse, in verse 14, he says, And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He's saying that in the person of Jesus, we have seen God's glory. And look at what he says in verse 18. He says, No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Who is he talking about? The only God who is at the Father's side, he's talking about Jesus. So no one's ever seen God, but Jesus came in order to make God known to us. In other words, when God took on human flesh and dwelt among us in the person of Jesus, in him we can see the glory of God displayed in a way that we can see, in a way that we can comprehend, in a way that, we can, that makes sense to us, right? In a way that we can understand. It takes this abstract idea of God's glory and the, the light of God's glory, and it shows us what it looks like in practice in practical ways. You know, people actually do ask me this all the time. They'll ask me, you know, say, okay, the Bible talks about the glory of God, but what does that actually mean? Like, like what does that mean practically? Well, here's the answer. In the person of Jesus, God gave us the opportunity to see what his glory looks like in real-life situations, in real-life interactions. And it's interesting there in verse 18 where it says that no one has ever seen God. It reminds us of another time in the Bible when somebody actually asked if he could see God. That person was Moses. And the story is found in Exodus 33 and 34. In Exodus chapter 33, Moses made an incredible request. He asked if he could see God's glory. He said, God, I want to see your glory. Moses had seen glimpses of God's glory, manifestations of God's glory. He had heard God speak to him out of a burning bush that burned, but it wasn't consumed. He had seen God do miracles in Egypt. He had seen the power of God on display as God parted the Red Sea. But this time, Moses was asking for something different. He's saying, God, I've seen the manifestations of your glory. I've seen your glory at work, but now I want to see it itself. Like, I want to see you, God, full, raw, unfiltered, the essence of who you are, your glory. You know, the word glory in Hebrew is a word you've probably heard before in some context or another. It's the word kabod. And what kabod means, it actually means weight. The weightiness of who God is, or we might say the substance of what makes God, God. It's kind of the opposite of cotton candy. If you ever get cotton candy, it looks like it's going to be huge and delicious, and then it has no substance. It has no weight to it. It just disappears when you touch it. Well, the opposite of that is kabod, glory, substance, weightiness. And, and so the glory of God 
is that which gives God his substance, his weight. It's the essence of what makes him great. And Moses is asking to see God in all of his glory. And God tells Moses, he says, Mo, my man, I love the fact that you want that. That's good. Hi, Ra, good for you. But here's the thing. If I were to show you that, it would be so powerful, it would kill you. Nobody can see me and live, God tells him. But God says, here's what I will do for you. I will make all of my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name. And so God instructs Moses. He says, there's this place where there's a cleft in the rock, right? There's this crack that you can climb into. And I want you to climb in there, and it will shield you. And I will let my glory pass before you. And so it says that on the next day, Moses rose early in the morning. He went and hid himself in this crack, this cleft in the rock. And it says there that the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. So check this out. God's glory, his essence, the substance of what makes God God is being revealed to Moses this day. But how is it revealed? Well, look at what it says, verse 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Now listen, this is one of the most important passages in the entire Bible because this is one of the very few places where God says, this is who I am. This is God's self-disclosure statement. It's his PR statement to the world. This is who I am. This is what I'm like. This is what I'm about. And because of that, this passage is quoted more than any other passage in the Bible from here on out. This passage is quoted over 200 times throughout the rest of the Bible. It's sung in the Psalms. It's repeated by the different authors. This passage is ground zero when it comes to understanding who God is and what he's about. But here's what's really interesting, right? Moses had asked to see God's glory. Let me see your glory, God. But what does God do? He says, sure, I'll let your, my glory pass before you. And how does that manifest itself? In God declaring his character over Moses. Do you see the point here? God's character is his glory. This is what makes God great. These characteristics are what is glorious about God. His glory, he says, first of all, is found in this, that he is merciful and gracious. Merciful and gracious. Now think about that. That's incredible. The very first thing God wants to talk about when he talks about who he is, when he talks about his character and what makes him glorious, the very first thing he wants to say is not, I'm powerful. I'm sovereign. I know everything. It's not that. No, he says, the very first thing I want to talk about when I tell you who I am and declare my glory is that I'm merciful and I'm gracious. Mercy, you know, being merciful, it means compassion, being compassionate. To show someone mercy means to come to their aid when they are hurting or in need. 
And you know that that's who God is. He is a God who cares about you. He comes to your aid when you are hurting and in need. He's merciful, but he's also gracious. Grace is related to mercy, but it's different, right? Grace means giving someone a gift. Just coming off of Christmas, we all know all about gifts. A gift isn't something you work for. It's not something you deserve. It's not something you earn. It's not something that you get paid for. That's not a gift. Those are wages, but a gift is something that you receive even though you didn't earn it, you didn't deserve it, you didn't work for it. It's something that someone gives you, not because they have to give it to you, but because they want to give it to you. It's an expression of kindness and love, and this is part of God's glory, that he gives grace. The next characteristic of God's glory is he says, he is slow to anger. He doesn't have a short fuse, right? He do, he, he's incredibly patient, and yet here's the other thing. Slow to anger, it implies that there are times when God gets angry. There are things that upset him greatly. The Bible even goes so far to say that there are things that God hates. Now, somebody might say, well, wait a second. See, this is the thing, right? Like, like you always say there's a God of love, but then you say that he gets angry. A God of love, how, how is that compatible with that? If he's a God of love, how can he get angry? If he's a God of love, how can he say that he hates things? How is that loving? Well, listen, God's anger and God's love are not at odds with one another. His anger is the outflow of the fact that he is loving. You see, God's anger is directed towards evil and injustice. Just like how a parent would be angry with a drug dealer who's trying to get their kid hooked on drugs. Just as a parent would be angry at a person who hurts or abuses their child. God's anger, John Stott says, he puts it this way, God's anger is God's steady, unrelenting, uncompromising antagonism to evil in all its forms and manifestations. It's actually because God is a God of love that he hates evil and sin. Because evil and sin are things which hurt the people who he loves. And yet God is slow to anger. He's patient. He's long-suffering. And the next one we see here is that he's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He isn't going to run out of love for you. He isn't going to give up on you when you mess up. That's what we're told in 2 Timothy, the good news, that even if we are faithless, God will remain faithful because he cannot deny himself. That's who he is. He's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And the final characteristic of God's glory that he gives us is that he for, is forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but by no means clearing the guilty. Iniquity transgression and sin, these three words together, like kind of like three different angles on the same thing, but they each tell us something important. So iniquity is kind of like the general term for all forms of wrongdoing, iniquity. But transgression is when you do something wrong on purpose. You knew that that was wrong and you did it anyway. Sin, that's an interesting word. That actually comes from archery. It's an archery term, which means that you are shooting at a target and you miss the bullseye. And that's interesting because that's sometimes the case, that, that try as hard as you might to do right and be right, inevitably you will still miss the bullseye. You will still be off target sometimes. And so what these three words together tell us, what God is telling us is that he forgives all kinds of sins, sins of all shapes and all sizes, big ones, little ones, intentional ones, accidental ones. 
He forgives all kinds of sins, but there's also a counterpoint. Did you catch that? But by no means clearing the guilty. In other words, God won't turn a blind eye when somebody does something wrong. He can't. His nature compels him to do justice because he is a God of justice. And by the way, his justice is a good thing. It's a very good thing because what it means is that God's ultimate goal is to eradicate sin and evil forever. And just imagine with me, if you would, a world that is free from evil, a world where there are no cruel dictators, no corrupt politicians, no terrorism, no fear, no abuse, no shootings, no racism, no exploitation, no pain, no mental illness, no betrayal, no evil at all. How many of you would want to live in a world like that? I, I want to live in a world like that. Sign me up. And the promise of God throughout the Bible is that one day, this is the kind of world that he will make, right? This world will exist. One day God is going to come and judge the world. He will eradicate evil and he will make things the way they ought to be. That sounds wonderful, but it also creates a problem. It creates a problem for us because here's the thing. We all want to live in a world without sin. But the problem is, sin isn't just out there. It's also in here. Sin, sin isn't just out there in the world. That Jesus even told us, it's rooted in our hearts, right? It's got its claws into us. It's got its grip inside of us. It's so deeply embedded in us that now we have a problem. Because if we want God to do justice, as is his character, well then... What about us? How can God eradicate evil without eradicating us? If God is going to judge sin, well, then that means that God's going to judge me and you. So, and doesn't it also sound a bit contradictory, what he says here? If God, on the one hand, forgives sins and transgressions and iniquities, and then in the very same breath he says, and yet he won't clear the guilty, Wait a second. Didn't you just say that he will clear the guilty? Like, how can both those things be true at the same time? You're, it's almost like you're talking out of both sides of your mouth. How can this be? Well, we're going to see the answer to that question in our text in just a moment. But first, we've got to finish this story, okay? So we'll get to that. Hang tight. As God revealed his glory to Moses that day, an intensely bright light shone around him to the point where even though Moses was hidden in this cleft of this rock, it caused his face to glow for days. Like he got a sunburn from the, from the glory of God. And Moses' response, it says in Exodus 34, verse 8, was to bow his head to the ground and worship. So when we talk about the light of God's glory, what are we talking about? We're talking about the characteristics that God declared when he said, this is who I am. This is the substance, the weight of who I am. And you know what that means? If these characteristics are the light of God's glory, that means that the darkness that we talk about when we talk about darkness is the absence of these things, right? So the absence of truth, the absence of justice, the absence of love, the absence of the knowledge of God. That's what it means to walk in darkness. And so that brings us to the next part of our sentence. The light of God's glory was made visible in Jesus. 
So now come back with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. And let's read again verse 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In the person of Jesus, the glory of God was made visible. As Jesus lived his life, as he interacted with people, we got to see what this light of God's glory looks like in practice. What it looks like in practice to be merciful and gracious. What it looks like in practice to be slow to anger. What it looks like in practice to abound in steadfast love and faithfulness. In other words, if you want to see what God is like, look at Jesus. Just like when I met Dikimbe Mutombo at the sports castle on Broadway. It's the same thing with Jesus. See, it's one thing to know things about God in theory, but it's another thing to see it in action in a person. Jesus came to show us what the light of God's glory looks like in practice with skin on. But that's not the only way the light of God's glory was made visible in Jesus Three out of the four Gospels tell us this story about a time when Jesus took three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, the same John who writes these words, saying, we have seen the glory of God. And he took them up on a mountain, and there on that mountain it says that Jesus was transfigured before them. And they saw his face begin to shine like the sun, just like Moses' face shone after he had been exposed just a little bit to the light of God's glory. But the difference was, this time the light wasn't shining upon Jesus' face. It was shining out from Jesus' face. You see, Moses reflected the light of God's glory, but Jesus was the source of the light of God's glory. Jesus didn't just embody the characteristics of God. Jesus was God come to us, and that was seen by these disciples in this physical way when Jesus was transfigured, and the light of his glory was seen in a way that hearkened back to Moses' experience with God in Exodus chapter 34. But here's the thing. It wasn't only that Jesus embodies the light of God's glory and shows the light of God's glory. But the good news of the gospel is actually something even greater than that. And that brings us to the last part of our sentence. Here's what it is. The light of God's glory was made visible in Jesus, who now reveals this light through the lives of those who receive his grace. Look at what Paul the Apostle says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. He says, For God who said... Let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Here's what Jesus has come to do. He has not only come to show us the light of God's glory, he has come so that you might have the light of God's glory inside of you. And do you know what that means? If God has placed the light of his glory inside of you, that means that he wants to manifest these characteristics of his glory in your life. In other words, just as part of his glory, his light, is that God is merciful and gracious, as his light comes into your life, he wants to make you into a person who is merciful and gracious towards others. Just as God is slow to anger, as the light of his glory shines more and more into the dark corners of your heart, 
you will become a person who is quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Just as he has abounding and steadfast love and faithfulness, as his light shines into your heart, you will abound more and more with love that doesn't give up, with faithfulness that is faithful to God and faithful to others. And just as you experience God's forgiveness in your life, increasingly you will be a person who is quick to forgive those who sin against you. But there's another part of what Paul says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In the verses immediately following the one we just read, Paul goes on to say this. He goes on to explain that God wants to shine his light, not only in your life, but through your life. So he gives you the light of his glory in you, not just for your sake, so you can enjoy having the light in you, but also because he wants to make you a vessel that will carry his light out into the world. So his light can shine forth from your life for others to see and be drawn to him. Here's how Paul describes it there in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says that God has placed the light of his glory in us, like putting a bright light inside a clay pot. He says, that's what you're like. You're like a clay pot, kind of earthy, kind of dusty, right? That's you and me. Are these outer shells that we have, these bodies, they're like clay pots. Now just imagine that image a bright light shining inside of a clay pot. The real value, in other words, that you have in your life is not the beautiful exterior, right? It's not the beautiful exterior that you portray on the outside. No, the real value, the real beauty that you have to share with the world is the light of God's glory within you if Jesus is in you. And sometimes, like with a clay jar, in order for people to see what's inside of you, the outer part of that container has to be broken. Has to be broken. You see, sometimes it's through the cracks, through our flaws, through the broken parts of our past or the broken parts of our present, that the light of God's glory is able to shine through for others to see it. Right? Once God places his light inside of you and that light begins to grow. You see, that's, this is one of the ways that God redeems the, the flaws and the errors, the mistakes, the broken parts of your life. He'll use those things, and he'll use them for good. Your mistakes, your struggles, your flaws, he will use them as ways that his light can shine even more brightly through your life for other people to see and be drawn to him. And so the question is, how do you get more of the light of God's glory into your life? Well, as Paul makes it clear, this light is the light of the knowledge of God's glory, and it is found in the face of Jesus Christ. So in other words, the way to get more light in your life is by seeking the face of Jesus. Seeking the face of Jesus. But how do you do that? Well, one of the primary ways we do that is by studying the Bible. We also do it through worship. We do it through prayer, by seeking him along with others. Uh, but of course, listen, it's also through seeking him through the words of Scripture, the Holy Scriptures, right? The Bible is a story. It's a book about Jesus from beginning to end. And what that means is that if you want to seek the face of Jesus, 
Well, here's one really good way to do it. You know, last year, we gave you guys a challenge as a church. We challenged you at the beginning of the year to read through the entire Bible in a year, and we gave you a printout, a Bible reading plan. We're going to be doing that again next year, so I'm just giving you a, a week's notice, okay? Next time when you show up at church, we're going to be handing out Bible reading plans, and we'd love it if you would read through the Bible in an entire year. I guarantee it will change your life. It will transform your life. You will grow in the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ as you do that. Here's what John tells us about Jesus. He says that as God came to us, as the embodiment of God's glory, Jesus is full of grace and truth. He's full of grace and truth. Now, the word truth is, is related to the idea of justice, right? Truth and justice, they're related. As Jesus embodies the glory of God, he is full of truth but he's also full of grace at the same time, full of it, full of grace. Look at what it says in verse 17. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Do you remember that question we asked earlier that we never answered? That question, do you remember, from Exodus 34? The question was this. How can it be that God is, on the one hand, merciful and gracious and forgiving, and yet... He says that he will by no means clear the guilty. He will not let any sins go unpunished. Do you see the problem inherent in this? Right? If no sin will go unpunished, then how can God forgive and be merciful and yet not let any sin go unpunished? The two things seem completely incompatible. You can't have one and the other. It can only be one or the other, right? I mean, isn't that the point of the law? The law basically says this. Given through Moses, the law is the truth. Here's the right way. Now do it or else. But the law wasn't the whole story. The purpose of the law was to show us that we need help. The purpose of the law was to show us that try as we might, we have all missed the mark. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. But in the person of Jesus, we see how God can be both at the same time full of truth and full of grace without any compromise. Because the message of the gospel, the good news that we have in Jesus, is that God has come to us to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. Jesus lived a life without sin, and then he took your place in death, sacrificing himself for you on the cross so that the justice of God would be satisfied, so that no sin would go unpunished. By no means clearing the guilty, right? No sin goes unpunished. And yet, because he took that judgment upon himself, justice was satisfied so that he could then show you grace and mercy, no matter what size or form of your sins. That's the amazing beauty of God's love for you and what he has done for you. No sin has gone unpunished, but he took that punishment himself that judgment upon himself so that you could receive grace and mercy. He is full of grace and full of truth at the same time with no compromise. That's who Jesus is. And John says in verse 16, for from his fullness we have received grace upon grace, abundant grace. You know what that means? It means that grace is not just for your salvation. God doesn't just give you the grace you need to save you. He also gives you the grace that you need for Monday 
and Tuesday. And whatever you're going through and whatever situation you're facing in your life, he has abundant grace for you. Grace upon grace. Let me encourage you to receive the light of God's glory in your life by trusting in and clinging to Jesus. And then let that light grow in your life as you continually grow in the knowledge of him and let his light shine forth from your life. The light of God's glory was made visible in Jesus, who now reveals this light through the lives of those who receive his grace. Would you please bow your heads with me and let's pray. You have been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Make sure to tap the subscribe button if you would like to have new messages delivered to your device every week when they are released. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support our ministry, you can do so by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or by giving a donation to our church on our website at whitefieldschurch.com. 